Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. Super excited today. If you like talking to people who've done things really, really cool and listening to really successful people, where we're not talking about millions, we're talking about billions with a B, isn't that exciting? Then I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. Let's jump in. Welcome to High Ticket Podcast Rebels, where we cut the crap, laugh at our own jokes and show high ticket coaches just how easy it is to build a 30K a month coaching business using nothing but a podcast. Ready to scale your coaching business to multiple six, seven or even eight figures? Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Super excited for the interview today because it's with somebody that I really haven't connected with in the last couple of years, but I had the amazing pleasure of meeting him in person, getting introduced to his family, and honestly, just getting to see the real person behind the business. And I think that's super important because sometimes when we listen to these interviews, we speak to these successful people who've done millions or multi-millions or even billions of dollars. And we sometimes feel like they're somebody that we could never be. And what I think is amazing is that when you meet these incredible individuals, you meet their families, you connect, you break bread, you have dinner, you really kind of realize that this is possible for anybody and that even these incredibly successful people are just real human beings who've just gone through things that we've done. So I'm incredibly grateful to have my guest on the podcast today who's done some incredible stuff. He's done over $2 billion of product sales through his own personal brands, all through startups. And one of the things that stood out to me was the word grit. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about what he's done in this time, but he's really gone about this game differently. You know, he goes into industries and the goal is often just to transform these industries and using new frameworks and doing things that have never been done before. And so I'm really excited to dig into the conversation today to help you guys really start to think about how you can be doing things differently in your business. I'm going to talk about amplifying your voice. We're going to touch on you know, how people get stuck in their own heads. And we're going to talk a little bit about leverage. But please welcome my guest today, Tom Shipley. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Jamie. It's great to be here. It's been too, too long. Really, it really has been too long. So, Tom, just for anybody that's listening to the show, um, I don't want to spend too much time going into you know a super deep story because I know there's limited time and there's a lot of value that we can get into. But just to give people a little bit of context about you and kind of what makes the business different for how you operate it, can you just give us a little introduction about you and, and what you do? Okay. Um, we'll start about what I'm doing right now. And if you want to, I'll just give a quick background that got me to here. But right now, what we're doing is um, we we are changing the way rollups or acquisitions, where you're buying multiple companies and rolling them to great together and integrating them to scale to be larger companies. We're changing the way it's being done from usually a typically um, SOP spreadsheet rigor driven, when I consider sharp elbows, to be people centered and people focused driven. And overall, we're changing the way global advertising agencies are being built by buying five agencies every 90 days. And that's the platform we are. And it's really changing. It's a game changer as far as every single part of our approach to this business model and the framework. I love it. I love it. And honestly, you know, I think the thong, the one thing that I'm the most curious about when I when I look at you and what you've done, and I even said this before we jumped on the interview is your ability to use leverage, you know, and I think whenever you look at truly amazing businesses that are doing things that 
at the level that we're personally at, we just can't even comprehend, you know, for me right now, it would be impossible to comprehend how to build, you know, a billion dollar business because it just seems so far out of reach. I think the thing I'm most curious about is learning a little bit more about how you leverage and how you do things differently and honestly, how you think differently. But where I wanted to start the interview, Tom, was just to kind of touch base because as we do talk about, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing things differently, and especially this like buying five agencies every 90 days, I think that's absolutely fascinating. For the person who's listening to this, who is maybe a little bit more of a beginner entrepreneur, maybe they're either approaching six figures or they're already, you know, at six figures and scaling up. What do you think are some of the biggest things that are holding them back right now from sort of getting to the next level from your own experience? Yeah. And let me share this, that if people will stick towards it to this whole interview, we'll try to do our best to share things and maybe one or two or three bits of information, which could change your trajectory and the level of success that you're destined to have. So let's start back is that my first lesson, this is I had, we all have, um, I don't care who we are. We've, oh, we did not survive childhood without some type of trauma. Some of us are more significant than others. I'm going to say with the more significant the trauma, there's the opportunity for the gifts of adversity with that. Um, with that, as we have different traumas and we're taught, we all know we're in, we're wired to avoid pain. So we create different loops in our head on how to avoid those pain and how to protect ourselves. That's our reptilian brain, our, our, our neocortex. So what, what happens is that as we go on and we look at opportunities, the things that is helping us survive is absolutely is what's holding us back because we have our identity, which we've assumed, which kept us safe. And we have our identity and we have our frameworks to look at the world. And sometimes what we have to do is figure out how do we change that? How do we break those cycles? Because it is like handcuffs. It's like being in a cage. So how do you break that? For me, it was when I was, you know, life was fine and I was at Florida State um, and, and, and going to college, but I knew I was destined for something bigger. And what I did is I made a decision. I'm going to leave university at the end of the semester. I'm moving to Israel. I'm going to join the Israeli army, not knowing the language, not being that great athletic, not knowing anything about the country, not knowing anything about the army. It was this vision. And as I moved to Israel, I found out about the top special forces units in the army, I had to become a different person. I had to assume a totally different identity of not that it's not me. It was the me that I knew that I could be in the future. And I had to pull that up. I had to see myself in the uniform, in the success. And then I could tap into parts of my capabilities that weren't there. And if it's a question of grit, I knew that I could stick with it if I had that clear vision and I knew my why was there. And what I saw myself going through the process of getting through into this unit, which was 10,000 soldiers, I have 100,000 soldiers in the army go out for my unit. They pick 1,000 of us for help with Hell Week. At the end of Hell Week, they pick 25 of us. They invest a million dollars over the next 18 months. And out of that 18 months of training rigor, basically they 13 of us survived. And then we served in the unit. And the person that was there at the end of the year and a half was a different person then you started this journey, but in my head, I was that person at the very beginning. And I had to assume the identity and add that strength to do that. It taught me a lesson about the power of visualization, but then you have to do the work and you have to stick with it. And it's about grit and tenacity. 
Um, those same skill sets is my toolkit that I used in every entrepreneurial venture. Every entrepreneurial venture, including the one I'm on right now, is different than anything I've ever done in the past. I'm not pulling from, I've done this, I'm just going to repeat and repeat. This is, I'm going with different paradigms, different worlds. So I need to change um, what I know and the person I need to be, and I need to accelerate it. I'm not going to wait three years to get there. I need the person to show up right now. I need to show up responsibility as a leader to show up and I have to show up. And so doing that and understanding that is the potential that each of you have in a business. I promise you, if you look at someone who's doing $1,000 in revenue a month or 10,000 with their business or 50 or 100, they will always get stuck at a certain level. And the only thing that five years from now, you're going to look back and say, shit, the answer was right in front of me. And I, and I don't know why I didn't go all in. I didn't know why I was so scared. I don't know why I was fear. Why not go in and go for it? The answer was right there. And that, and that's, and that's the biggest challenge with entrepreneurs. I can't tell you how many times in my life that this has happened where the answer was right there. And I'm going to say, because of fear, concern, I didn't go all the way all in. I held back because of that concept of fear and failure, humiliation, shame. And that's what's stepping back. And sometimes when you um, visualize something, you just have to change the way you look at it. Mm -hmm. I'll give another example. Um, changing things, changing your paradigms. Um, in COVID hit and in the United States, a lot of people said, oh my God, look at all this free time. Let me go watch Tiger King. I on Netflix. What I knew is that whenever there's a massive downturn, whenever there's a massive shift, there's a massive opportunity, and it's time for us entrepreneurs to roll up our sleeves and get to work and try to say, "Where's the world going?" And I started saying, "Okay, let me do something proactive," because I knew we'd sell our business as soon as this economic downturn, my brand business that we were doing the hundred million a year. I knew we'd be selling it, but what can I do? And I said, "Let me start something. Maybe I'll buy an Amazon or e-commerce brand." Maybe I can have fun and buy for no money out of pocket. Okay, just let me give it a shot. And then I asked the question, which I do, and this is key, is changing your frame. And sometimes you have to ask questions and the right questions to change the way you're thinking about things. What happens instead of buying one brand? What happens if I buy one brand a month? The next question, and that's adding zero onto my idea. Now, for each of you, what would happen if you had another zero onto your idea? What if I bought 10 brands a month? Now. On everything I know about business, I will be, I will fail miserably at doing this because my operating paradigms, the way I've learned to grow businesses, you're not going to be successful doing that. So I said, okay, question is what would have to be true to make that possible? What would have to be true? And I had to change all my operating assumptions of what would have to be true. And then ultimately I came up with this idea that said, well, if I can build the data infrastructure, and again, I came up with a list of things and had the right team in place and the right capital structure, all the things I did not have. But if I can do that, I can do a better job of building brands than Procter & Gamble, Johnson Johnson, Church & White. And with that, I made some call. And again, then my conclusion was based on where the world was multiples, I needed $100 million in equity, which I wasn't gonna, I didn't have. So then uh, I picked the phone, called seven private equity firms, and I raised, out of those seven, I picked two, and I raised $100 million to launch Boundary. Something that's never, again, it's the model they were doing that's never been done before, and then building the right team in place. But part of it was having the clarity of my assumptions and then the confidence that I can do it. 
there's a certain level of certainty. And I won't say it's not even because if you're an entrepreneur, you failed over and over again, which means we've learned over and over again. If you're, if you're basically, um, are an entrepreneur that aren't taking swings at, at, at the plate and aren't failing, you'll never achieve a fraction of the success that you're, you have the ability and that you are destined to have. So those are just things. It's how I just change against changing the, um, creating that vision and that clarity of what you're going to build with that clarity. You can have, bring people onto the ride, the bigger, the vision, the easier it is to accomplish because you can bring on leverage and, you brought a very big question. I'll stop and ask, uh, ask, see if you have any questions. If not, I'll jump into leverage. Yeah, no, I mean, I just want to reiterate what you're saying there because what I'm hearing, and it's really interesting, it reminds me of the story that I heard originally from Steve Larson where he's like, a lot of people are stepping over $100 bills to pick up pennies. And it's, you know, asking the question. And, and what I took away from this is really two things. It's one, having the vision to ask the question of, well, if I was going to go for 10 times or 100 times the opportunity, what would that look like? And then asking the very real question of like, well, okay, I can't do that right now, but what would have to happen in order to make that actually come true? And I think what's amazing about the way that you frame those two questions is it's kind of giving people a framework to create a bigger vision and to say, well, dream a little bigger, like go a little taller. Like what if you could do something like that? Well, let's just workshop it. Let's brainstorm it. Let's see what it looks like. But I think, you know, and I want to dig into leverage. I think one of the questions that I have in there is that there are plenty of people who love to dream big. We all do it when we think of, well, what happens if I win the lottery? I'll buy this, I'll buy this island, I'll do that. <laughs> but, you know, there's a there's a, a breakdown from plan and vision to implementation. And I know when you talked about your story of grit, I can see, you know, why that would have made it possible. But you talked about visualization and grit coming together. If we talk about the practical element of, okay, let's say somebody does create that vision and they know what they have to do in order to get there. Well, how do they put that into action when fear kicks in? Because that's a very real thing that would happen. Yeah. And with the fear is a tough one. The question is, 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 is just, so it's reframing the fear and fear is you get this feelings of anxiety, you get this nauseous, this queasiness, this, you know, it's telling, and your body is constantly trying to avoid fear and reduce the stress and the noise that you have. Peter Sang, who wrote the fifth discipline, he was an MIT professor. He had this analogy. He said, imagine that you have this big rubber band around your hands. And what you're doing is, is whenever you grow, whenever you're pushing creativity, whenever you push the limits, you are stretching the rubber band. It's causing a lot of pain. And all your body wants to do is go back and take that pressure off. He said so. And so a lot of that. And he said, what you have to get comfortable with is that creativity, that tension is really healthy and positive. It's kind of like when you work out and your muscles hurt. It's really positive for you. And just relax and be comfortable and understand that's healthy for you. We have to be comfortable with that and figure out ways to reframe the fear. Your biggest successes in your life are just on the other side of fear. There's a reason why that fear is there. And you have to not be stupid about fear. If your body is telling you, you know, don't jump off of a cliff without a parachute. Yeah, it's probably telling you there, there's reasons for that. The question is, is, um, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I'll just, you know, no matter how big of success are that someone has, shit happens. And I'll give you an example. 
amazing. We built this company. My partner and I built this company from scratch. We leveraged Atlantica's brands. We leveraged everything at the very beginning to go all in with our first beauty product. We were going to take the world by storm. And therefore, we did everything. We um, mortgaged our houses. We used every credit card we have. Of course, our savings, our 401k was, was gone with the startup that we did. Um, even though I promised my wife I wouldn't do that again, but here we were again. <laughs> then we were out of money for food, and then I found out I could actually um, I own two cars, and I can actually get a loan about my cars, and that's how we fed the family while we were while we were building while we were building this company. And so again, it was it was an example of grit. I'm going to come back to the story in a little bit as far as how you use leverage from having nothing. Okay, but let me talk about um, what happens. That shit happens. Fast forward a decade later, we're doing over 100 million in sales. Life is life. Um, life is great. Companies are looking to buy our company. Offers between 55 to 75 million dollars, which is extremely meaningful. And then, uh, and so we're riding high. And then one of our um, our our vendor for the only FDA approved product that we had, there's only one manufacturer in the world, went Chapter Seven. No manufacturing shut down. Out of business under. So we couldn't ship any auto ship. You don't ship auto ship per month. You start losing your customers. And pretty soon we're no longer break even. We're actually losing $600,000 a month. We're no longer making $800,000 a month. We're losing $600,000. And the bank calls up and says, we're shutting you guys down. It's when I went to my first inner circle meeting. And this is the key thing. And uh, my wife and I went out there. We're running along the Boise River. And it's one of those cold dark mornings a little damp you feel that you mean the year it almost looks like it's the um it's spitting out there like you're running through a cloud and i remember just this cold morning and we're running along this trail and i said pam you know it's very dark for us she said um and she's my ride and i girl been with me forever so my she said pam said okay let's go let's go as dark as we can she said so what are you concerned about i said well basically is we have our employees and the employees in our ecosystem so about a thousand two thousand people will lose their job um, I said, and and that's devastating for me. I said, forget about what we're going to do afterwards. And then there's the humility, humiliation about that. She said, then what happens if you get shut down? We go bankrupt. She said, well, we'll lose the house. We're personally guaranteed on too much, and not only that, we'll lose our, you know, we'll lose our house, we'll lose our car, we'll lose everything, and then we'll also have the challenge of owing the IRS money. She says, and then what? I said, we're living in an apartment, and she said. And then what? I said, then we get to work. She said, in five years from now, where we are, are we? I said, right back where we are. She said, so what are you worried about? What's the worst that can happen? And I said, you're right. As long as I have you and you're healthy and our girls, daughters, I can work. I can do with the rest because five years you can do, you can change your destiny. So the question is, is really facing the fact is what's the worst that's going to happen? But Jamie, can you imagine getting to your deathbed? Hopefully seven, eight, nine decades from now, whenever it is, okay? And what you do is you think there is, what are the ghosts that are around you? It's the ghost of regret. That scares the shit out of me more than anything that, I will, that I'm going to be on my deathbed. I'm going to say, look at the opportunities that I didn't take advantage of because I was afraid. And afraid of what? Afraid of what? Unless I'm gambling on the health of my family and the health of my loved ones and their lives, it's, it's just basically the rest is just a game. I take business very serious. I take money very seriously because I have responsibilities with people's jobs and livelihood. But come on, if you don't go all in in life, 
you really want to sit there a decade from now, three decades, five decades from now, and have all these regrets of, I was afraid and I didn't go for it. I'd much rather live with the, with the recognition is I took my swings and I failed in those things, but look what I succeeded in. So I succeed one out of every 10 times. Okay. Nine times is what I learned. So anyways, that's how I handle the fear is that pain of regret will haunt me more than anything else. No, I love it. It's a beautiful story as well. And uh, it, 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 hopefully a lot of people are inspired. I'm certainly inspired by listening to that, to think about, you know, take the bigger swings, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? So let's circle back around to leverage. Cause I know we've only got, you know, about maybe five more minutes on the show. So you said that you wanted to talk about leverage from using nothing. And this is what I'm personally very interested to learn about. So if you want to so just, I'm not gonna, someone might say, well, Tom, look what you've done in your track record and ergo, therefore it's easier for you now with leverage, but let me go back to the, to, to my story. When we started Lenica's brands, we started this brand, leveraged everything in, and while we generated three hundred thousand in sales that first year, we did it at a loss. And we were, you know, we were running out of cash, and we did a consulting gig in store to order to generate some personal cash flow for us. And we looked at this company in Hoboken, New Jersey, and we said, "Oh my God, this fifteen million dollar business doing a million and a half dollars of profit." They're great. They're efficient. They're small. They're nimble. They do programming in-house. They have their own little customer service. They do their accounting. They have this infrastructure. They have 15 product lines, 15 products that are doing well, and they're growing online. Wow. We want to buy it. We, I'd love to buy this one day. And then we actually have the conversation with the owner and ask the question, have you ever thought about selling your business? What would you sell it for? Well, that led to us saying, okay, now we know the price and what they're looking for. Now let's go and let's go raise the money. What does that mean? Is me going and making phone calls. Do you know anyone who uh, I should talk to about brokering financing? Oh, I found a guy that specializes in pseudo. It's, it's a combination of equity and debt called mezzanine lending, where they give you it's high interest loan, but on top of that, they take a little piece of the company. So it's a combined, it's mezzanine level debt. He had a lot of credibility. He introduced us. He basically put together our book and our model. He had three companies. He sent the book out to a couple of companies. They came in. We did our little roadshow with that. We had two different term sheet and they gave us the money to buy this company. And again, the, we, had, we were losing money in our core business, but they trusted us. They looked at this business that had been in business for over five years, generating positive cash flow. They didn't give us the money on this. So two guys with nothing, we're able to raise at that time, I think it was three and a half million dollars to buy this company. Now we bought 85% of the company. Two years later, we bought the other 15% for another three and a half million dollars because we able to grow this. That enables to take this business from 300,000. Then the next year with that 15 million, we grew it to 25 or 30. Then 18 months later, we were at 125 million. Wow. Again, it was just, and how did we also do it is, we then can afford to hire people that had been there before that have grown a half a billion dollar company. So when they came in, they knew the playbook. We took risk by bringing in people that had been there that were gritty because you don't want to have people that are corporate guys that have only done this from big companies, guys that are gritty, that have done it before, that like to roll their sleeves and grow from small to large. But that's leverage. Leverage is not only it's about financing, it's about how you find uh, finding a business that can help you grow because they have the infrastructure. It's about hiring the right people. I always look for shortcuts, which is what leverage is all about. Mm. 
I love it. That's an amazing story. And I, I, it's super interesting. And I know we're short on time here. And so I'm not going to dive into a next question. But for anybody that's listening, I think one of my key takeaways from this is really asking the question of what would it take to level up my opportunity? You know, Tom, what I got from that story was that you had sort of proven yourself, you were in the vehicle that you were in, but you recognized that even with all of the flow and all of where you were at, you weren't really making money. And it's, do we try and build this brand up to the level of this company that we aspire to, which might take five or 10 years, or can we just buy this company instead and take what we know and actually evolve that company to make more money because our vision is greater. And so I think that's an incredible lesson for jumping to that high level opportunity. You know, how much easier would it be to go out and raise money and and grow a bigger business than it would be to kind of take one from the ground up and build it from scratch. And I think a lot of us are, we do have that vision of, oh, I have to be the only person that's doing this. I have to be the only person that has the slice of the pie. But, you know, you look at Amazon and Jeff Bezos, who has what, like 17% or 10% of Amazon, Elon Musk, who has like barely anything of Tesla, like they give away slices of the company because they understand that with other people, they can grow it faster. So that's definitely my my big takeaways, I think. And well, you have to be very careful ever bringing in partners in the business because it could be toxic. Mm -hmm. Right now, what enabled me to doing the agency that we're doing, we're buying five, uh, five every single 90 days is I have two incredible partners that execute at the level that I do. And we're pushing each other and therefore we're able to compress timeline and do what we're doing in a, and change the way business is done. And it's a very exciting because we're very focused on culture. But sometimes partnerships is also about leverage because they have skill sets I do not have. They're bringing in with their businesses that I did not do. And together, that's leverage. So again, be creative. Don't think in boxes. Even if you want to buy a company, understand there are so many businesses out there that people will give you their business because they're done. And if right. they can feel they have a better return from you and you can do it and buy into it, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. The question I learned, the final thing I, I'll share is we learn this as we we're trained as medics and then as, as, as special forces soldiers is a good medic is one who improvises. A good soldier is one who improvises. A good entrepreneur is one who improvises. It's never about resources. You'll never have enough resources. Matter of fact, too much resources kill more company than anything else. It's all about, you've heard this before, it's all about resourcefulness. So just ask the funding middle Christian and then have fun. You have nothing to, what do you really risk is you have fun, be creative and ask, 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 ask. Don't be shy. Jamie, it was was really great catching up with you. Tom, I appreciate it. If anybody wants to follow along, learn more about you, Tom, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, tshipley.com, T-S-H-I-P-L-E-Y is my website. Also, I do a decent amount of publishing. I try to do this a few times a week on my Facebook, Tom Shipley, as well as I post it all on Instagram, same place. Amazing. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. Massively appreciate your time here. And guys listening at home, I hope you got tons of value. We'll see you on the next episode.